Well, uh, let's get started with prayer. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for who you are. And Lord, for the fact that you are uh, very unique in, in this universe. And uh, the fact that you are uh, an entity that uh, desires for your creation to know you and to be one with you and to function in uh in in a in a correct manner with you and to communicate with you and to be with you and to experience the love that you have uh for them and uh we're going to look at those things today and i just pray that you'll be with me as i share and uh be with everyone here and uh just open up our hearts and our minds to the truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, the way we, you know, view things in life, our perspective of things, is uh, very important because that perspective, that way that we view things uh, is going to be what causes something to appear one way or possibly appear another way. And that, that's what I want to look at. I want to look at this disparity between human beings, the way they kind of naturally look at things and the way God views things. And there is a huge disparity. Y'all know the scripture that says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. But when you look at people, you wouldn't think that that was the case. What I, what I think most people believe, and, and most people in particular in religion, is my way is this way, and God's way is this way. So I pretty well got God, God figured out and I'm going to behave this way and he's going to be happy with me and things are going to go just fine with me. But I think you'll find plenty of people that are in that camp that think that this is my way and this is God's way that are not very happy campers and are not functioning in life at a level that they would like to function at. Everybody wants to function at a high level. Nobody wants to function at a low level. We all want to function at a high level. And when you think that you're here and God's here and you're functioning in that way, you may have another something coming to you that's not you hope to derive from life. But if you believe that you're here and God is like way over here and you desire to function and be at a much higher level way over here then there's great hope for you now you think well wait a minute if there's such a disparity how can you say if if i'm here and god's here there's hope for me in that but if he's way over here how can there be hope in that well, I'm gonna, we're going to talk about that today because God, I can tell you this, God desires for us to be from this 
locale here to this locale over here. And he can do that very quickly if, if men and religion would allow them to be. But men and religion don't want, they want you to be right here. They want you to be in their church, in their auspices, under their control. And this is where men and religion want you to be. But God don't want you to be there. God wants you to be over there with him. Y'all got that? Now, so what, how does man naturally think? What, what, what is in man's thoughts and mentality toward God? What do we naturally think? Anybody? Oh, by the way, before we get started, if you have any questions, thoughts, interaction, please share, because I, I, I'd like to see that interaction today. I mean, it's important in particular today. So how, how, do, how does man think and reason about life and about the Lord? I mean, what is that natural uh, way? Does anybody have any thoughts in that regard? Well, our thoughts are contrary to God's thoughts, right? There's no, there's no question. There's absolutely, there is a contrary. Our, our thoughts and our ways are not just different. They're contrary, contrary. to God's ways. I grew up afraid of with, I'm sorry? Afraid. Fear. Afraid. Fear. <clears throat> yeah. We, we, actually, we're, we're taught that God is someone to be feared. But there's something implicated in that, in that reality that why? Why should we fear God? And you know, there's a, a godly fear where you look at God and you see this awesome nature about who God is, and you, you know, you're kind of overcome by that reality, the, the the beauty that you see there, this awesomeness you're finding God. That is a, a a natural reverent fear of the Lord, but to be afraid of the Lord or what He wants to do with you, that's <laughs> not a reverent fear. That's an unholy fear. For me, I think of it kind of like Pinocchio. Like we think of ourselves as a puppet that needs to become a real boy. And in fact, we already are real yeah. and, and complete, but we don't realize, we feel like there's a, a place to get to. That's right. We always think that there's a place that we need to be that we're not. Yes. So let's just go back to something I've shared many times. I wrote my book on it, and that is the, uh, the idea that mankind took uh, of a belief system very early on in his existence. And that belief system is simply this. Through my knowledge of good and evil, I can be like God. I can attain to God-likeness through my knowledge of good and evil. Now, someone would say, where did you hear that, Maurice? Well, back in the book of Genesis, yeah. it talks about the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God told the man and the woman, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do, what's going to happen? You shall surely die. You shall surely die. Well, was it, was it simple disobedience that took place there that, that God said, don't eat from that tree, and they ate, so they died? Is that all that was happening there? No. Or did that tree represent something? 
That tree clearly represented something. There's no tree called the knowledge of good and evil in any of the forests that you're going to go to. That tree represented a belief system that was presented to the man and the woman by Satan that through our knowledge of good and evil, we could work the good, not do the wrong, and attain to a godlike posture before before the Lord, before, before God, and in our own eyes. That makes sense to you? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's what's in man's thinking. We think we know right from wrong, and we can attain to godlikeness through that. Do you see where that might apply in humanity yeah. as a, well, religion, right? In other words, this is what drives most human religion. Christian, Judaism, Islam, all of the world religions are, are driven by this system that is in the world and that is of death, in, ends in death. So the question is, if that is the world system and that is man's thinking and man's approach to godliness, <clears throat> what is God's approach? Let's look at a, a couple of scriptures here. Okay, before we do that, I want to I talk about these two different ways and the disparity between them, okay? So, the knowledge of good and evil, this belief system, results in death, right? The, the other system, God's system, results in what? Life. Life, eternal life. The knowledge of good and evil results in confusion. And what is God's system end up in? Peace. Perfect Peace. understanding. Confusion or perfect understanding? Which would you prefer? One is a life of striving. The other is a life of rest and excitement and joy about the future. One instills in us a fear of death, like Jim was sharing with us. The other, the confident expectation of perfect eternal life with God in a human in, in a glorified body. So here we are, we have two different systems that are totally opposed to one another, but man in his religions believe in the one that brings death. So the question is, what are we going to look at? How, do, how does humanity function? in this system, these two opposing systems. I gotta tell you, there's this continuum. I wish I had a little, I, no, I can do it. There's this continuum, okay? This is man's way. This is God's way. And there's a continuum here. There's a wide disparity, but there's a continuum. Now, how mankind operates is this is where he finds himself carnal mind carnal thinking this 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 system is exposed to us through through the law it is carnal fleshly thinking and it results in the fruit of the flesh which is death to us and ends in eternal death and it is 
sin-focused. The other system, those born of God find themselves existing in this system. This is where we actually are. We possess the mind of Christ. It's spiritual in nature. It produces the fruit of life and peace. It ends in eternal life and glorified flesh, and it is focused on the full assurance of the justification of life. Now look at the look at the disparity in these things. But where does man find himself? So we come to know the Lord. But our hearts and our minds are thinking like this. So what happens? Where do we find ourselves? That is who we are. That's who we really are. But this is what we're coming from. So what happens? Where, where, where do people find themselves on, on this continuum, this huge continuum in, in the disparity between God's thinking and man's thinking? Confused. I, well, I think it depends on if they're exposed to the truth or not, right? Yes. Because we've been fortunate enough to have been exposed to the truth of the gospel. Yes. And we've been given a clear identity of who we are in Christ and who God is, as opposed to mainstream Christianity, which leaves us on the left with carnal thinking and, and poverty of belief in who who our true identity and God's true identity is. I think I think the church today in many ways profanes God and the character of God with the way they paint the picture of who he is. Um, I was thinking of, you were asking about, you know, what what do we think about God? If you ask 10 people on the street, I bet you'd probably get six or eight of them that would tell you that he's a wrathful God as opposed to telling you he's a God of love. Mm -hmm. Nothing could be further from the truth than that. And it's man's view of wrath, not God's view of wrath. Mm -hmm. Be clear sure. about that. But I think it depends where you are on that that spectrum. Depends on how much truth you've been exposed to and what it's done Absolutely. in persuading your heart. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I so, think it, it comes, too, from having that relationship with him. Right. Because if you're not having that communion with him on a daily basis, you're going to slip back to the carnal mind thinking a lot more than as you're communing with him and thinking on what is his belief system and thoughts. So in other words, what is your source of truth? Think about it. Who, who is, who would you say most people's source of truth is? I mean, people would say, I believe in the Bible. That's what I believe in. But, what really is happening is they're believing in man's interpretation of what the scriptures say. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So the question is, who is a person's source going to be? I'm going to tell you something. I hope to God that my source of truth is God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to believe a man. I don't care what this church, no other church, is going to be my source of truth. 
God is going to reveal his truth to me. And his truth is part of what it, I'm trying to illustrate here. I've come to this degree of understanding about man and how he thinks and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the, the, the uh, justification of life through going to the Lord and saying, Lord, teach me the truth because I don't know it. I don't know what the truth is. You need to show me what the truth is. And a lot of other people have to come to God with that type of attitude. But listen to this. It's kind of interesting because the Jews, uh, you know, the Lord came to the earth through the Jews and they, some of the Jewish people came to know the Lord. And there's others, but the, the, the nation as a whole did not come to know the Lord. And this is what Paul says about that situation. He says, brethren, my hearts, this is from Romans chapter 10, verse 1. says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel that it might be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Now, what was their problem? Paul said it here. Being ignorant of the fact that there is a righteousness that comes from God, mm -hmm. they sought to establish their own righteousness. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's those simple words should speak to a lot of people in religion. Mm -hmm. Whose righteousness are you seeking to establish? Are you, are you seeking to receive and possess a righteousness that comes from God himself? Or is some man telling you what to eat, drink, touch, taste, or whatever it is, that you are somehow or another striving for righteousness through your own works and efforts? It's either God's righteousness or it's your righteousness. But it says, or, or they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, they had not submitted to the righteousness of God. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Now what does that say to you? What law? Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What law? I can tell you it's primarily the law of Moses. That believing that through working the carnal ordinance of, of the law, that you're going to attain righteousness through your efforts. That's primarily what it's talking about. But it can be any law. You start laws, rules, regulations, principles to live by. That is your righteousness which you are working. But what does, but listen, listen to what he says. For Moses writes about the righteousness, which is of law, of the law. The man who does those things will live by it. But the righteousness of faith is in this way. Do not say in your hearts, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss to bring Christ up? What do you think he's saying there? Who will ascend? Oh, Y'all remember Mount Sinai? 
there's, there's two mountains, two great mountains that are talked about in the Bible. One of them is Mount Sinai. And this is, this represents Sinai. S-A-I. I don't know, something like that. Sinai. And there's another great mountain that's talked about. What is that? Zion. Zion. Now, this is going to be an illustration to you of these two different mountains. If you've got your Bibles, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 12. This is what it says, Hebrews 12, 18. For you, uh, when he says you, the believer, the believer, for you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that burned with fire and blackness and darkness and tempest. So this is it. The believer did not come to this mountain. Okay, he did not come to that mountain. Uh, and the trumpet and the voice of words so that those who heard it begged that the word should no longer be spoken to them. For they could not endure what was commanded. And if as so much as a beast touched the mountain, it should be stoned or shot with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. Now, that mountain is represented by this belief system that we, we're looking at here carnal, fleshly thinking, the fruit of death, eternal death, the end, and focused on sin. That is what Mount Sinai, where the Ten Commandments were given to humanity. By the way, you, you, you know the verse back from, uh, from Romans chapter 10, it said, do not say in your heart who will ascend to the heavens to bring Christ down. That's a, it, it's like a... It, almost like a perfect analogy or picture of Mount Sinai because Moses went up the mountain ascending up and there was a form of righteousness that was seen there and it came to him from God and when he saw that he shone with the glory of God because that righteousness is not something that some religion came up with that righteousness, that picture of righteousness came to him from who? God. From God. So he comes down the mountain and he gives a law to the people. You want to hear a funny thing? I like this. I, I had a, I had a, a text this thing to myself. Listen to this. This is from Exit, I mean, Deuteronomy chapter 18. The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me among your brothers, you must listen to him. By the way, Moses is speaking of Jesus. That's who he's speaking of. Moses is speaking of Jesus, the prophet that would be raised up among his people. This is what you ask for of the Lord, your God, at Horeb. Really? Horeb, which is basically Sinai, okay? Horeb, on the day of the assembly, when you said, let us not hear the voice of God or see 
this great fire anymore so that we will not die. Let us not see, which is coming from Mount Sinai anymore, lest we die. And what did the Lord say in response to that? He said, then the Lord said, they have well spoken. I will raise up a prophet for them like you among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command. So, this system that leads to death, he came. They, God sent a prophet to him that brought us over to this mount. Now let's listen to what this mount is. This is back from Hebrews chapter 12. It says, but you have come to a mountain, Mount Zion, into the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly, the church of the firstborn, who are registered in heaven, and to God, the, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. <clears throat> So that ain't us no more. This is us. And what does it say of us? We are the spirits of just men made perfect. So we're no longer under sin, but life reigns over us. And we are the just men having been made perfect. You think most people... In, in church. Go to any church you want, down the street, wherever you want to go, all over the country, all over the world. Do you think that most people see themselves as just men made perfect? No. 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 You know, I, I flew both. <laughs> I was a pilot almost my whole life. And I was taught this. The shortest distance between two points is a straight line. In other words, if you want to get somewhere, you don't go here and then here and then there and then over here and then back here. And that's what basically the world's doing. They're trying to figure out where they are in this continuum so that they can somehow or another find themselves over here. That's like Jay was saying, most people, their thinking is somewhere on this continuum trying to find life, trying to find peace trying to find perfection, trying to find something that will tell them, I have life. Well, guess what? Jesus has given us life. So, with that in mind, if you got your Bible, go to uh, Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read a little bit. Because what we're going to talk about, we already know that, that through the cross, we died to sin, right? Mm -hmm. Y'all aware of that? Yep. That you're dead to sin? Mm -hmm. Most people, you think people in church, up and down the street, all over Louisiana, 
all over the world. You think they think they are dead to sin, dead to this means of righteousness that through the deeds and the works of the law, you're going to attain to the righteousness of God. It cannot happen. It will not happen. We are dead to this way for life. We died to it at the cross. And now we find ourselves over there. But somebody say, Maurice, you just saying that. That's not true. I can't believe it. Don't you realize that I do things that are wrong sometimes? I gotta do something with those sins. I gotta confess those sins. I gotta you you, you know the Bible what the Bible says on this page over here? Listen to me. This is the truth of the gospel. And this is that place over there is where you want to live your life. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. You don't want to be here. You want to be there. Because that is where we are. We are, we have within us spirits that have been completely justified and are right before God forever. And we possess a life that is eternal, cannot be taken away from us. We can never walk away. Why would you walk away? Now, this, is, this is interesting when you think about people who believe you can lose your salvation, okay? If you actually possess eternal life and you have been made perfect forever, why would anyone in their right mind ever walk away from perfection in eternal life? Why would a person do that? I'll tell you why. Why people who believe that that is possible because they're, they're here. And they think their life is contained here. Now, if I had overcome sin and death by the power of my flesh or with the Spirit's help, if you have to overcome sin and death by your flesh, even with God's help, if you have to do that, if you have to overcome sin and death, you might walk away from that. If you don't muscle up to the traditions of your religion and do the things that they say you need to do to attain righteousness through your flesh, absolutely, you may walk away from that. But that's not what you were called to. That has nothing to do with who you are. This is who you are. Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk about who we are and where we are so that we don't get confused with this. For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk according, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, this is a perfect, this is a really good. I want to talk. I got to bring something up real quick. This is <laughs> Romans 8. Now, this is a good example of how people's interpretation of the scriptures is affected by where you find yourself on this continuum here. 
Okay. So what I just read, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now, if you don't know that that is what spirit is, and that you've been made alive and have the perfect life and have been made perfect forever, if you don't know that, but if you think that your walk is what dictates this, when you read this and it says, who walk not according to the flesh, you, you're going to interpret that. Well, that's for people who are walking the way they should walk according to their own efforts, right? But you know what the word walk means? It means to tread, to walk at large, figuratively, to live or to deport oneself into another state. So when it says to walk, it means to exist in this state. Yep. So it's also interesting to note it didn't say if you walk in the spirit, not the flesh. It said those who are in Christ Jesus who do walk after the spirit, and not the flesh, not if. And listen to the next verse of scripture that really clarifies just what you're talking about. So who do not walk. Okay, there is now no condemnation in Christ. That question is, you got to ask you, this is talking about learning from God, right? So he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So how much condemnation is there for you? No. no. I, what if you do something wrong? No. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me if you do something wrong, there's still no condemnation for you? That's right. Yep. Why? Because it's the testimony of God and Jesus that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, if somebody is listening to me and saying, well, you're telling people they can just do whatever they want. Let me tell you something. That life is going to, the life that is in us is going to produce the fruit of that life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faith, all those things that are in the spirit of God. That is what that life is going to produce. But it is not us trying hard to obey the Ten Commandments that's going to cause us to be righteous. You live that kind of life, it ends in death. Yes. Think real hard about what you believe and who you believe. Anything that's not of faith is sin. So you resisting bad behavior in your own strength is actually equal to going ahead and doing the thing that you're trying to resist. Absolutely. Because it's sin. Yes. This whole belief system this whole belief system is what sin is. Yeah. And that's where most people in the world and the religions of that world find themselves. They find themselves in a system where they think they know right from wrong, good from evil, and I'm going to choose the right and not do the wrong. I'm going to be like God as a result. But you know what? It's going to bring death. Now, so listen to what he says. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. Okay. So the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So 
Somebody's got to ask the question, right? Have you been set free? The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that is our spirit, that we are now one with, the law of the spirit of life has set me free from the law of sin and death. So are we on a continuum? Or, or, are we actually on some kind of continuum? Now, I understand that there are people who are learning about these things and they're growing and they are coming out of this. So people are on that continuum, absolutely. But that is not where God does. God don't desire you to be on no continuum. You, do you understand that? God does not want you to be on a continuum. He wants you to be in his kingdom of Mount Zion, of the spirits of men made perfect once for all. That's where he desires for us all to be. So he says, the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set me free from the law of sin and death. But what the law could not do in that was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On the count of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not walk or live according to the, the flesh, but who live according to the spirit. Does that make sense to you? So in other words, yes. But in our own walk, we're going to, we're going to drift over into the flesh anyway. But we're, what you're saying is we're covered by what Jesus suffered for us. He sealed us. And I'll believe in him. I will say that it is inevitable for our thinking to be challenged, our belief system. But this, this is what most believers equate sin with something that you're doing that's wrong. Listen, you can't do things that are terrible, horrific things that you would say, that's sinful behavior, that's not nice, that's bad, okay, and it's sin. But that's not really what sin is. Sin is a belief system that has you in your flesh trying to overcome the sin and death you find all around you. That the sin is your is through your knowledge of good and evil, through what, what is right and wrong, good and evil, you are striving to find life for yourself. That is what sin is. And most people think that's righteousness. Okay? But that's what sin is. What righteousness is, is it's a, called a righteousness of faith. By, by the way, Listen to this. So watch it. I put the cross here, but I, I just I'm gonna I'm gonna do this for a moment. Because I have a question here. What is the one thing? I want y'all to just think about this. It's it's not a trick question, it's very easy. What is the one thing that translates us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, where we have been made perfect once for all? Faith in Christ. You're right. You got the answer. It is to believe. That he, once for all, has saved us from this system of death 
and translated us into the, into the kingdom of his beloved son, wherein we have been made perfect once for all. This is cognitive dissonance. If, if they got people watching this thing from some church somewhere, and they hear what I'm saying, it's cognitive dissonance to believe that you are perfect. But you know, another verse from the book of Hebrews, it says, listen, for by one sacrifice, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified, not being sanctified. He hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. So if he perfected me, thereby I am, I find myself perfect. Now someone said, well, Maurice, you think you do everything right? You think you're perfect? That's where you, you begin to slip back into evaluating things and judging things and even the scriptures, judging the scriptures according to the flesh. Well, no, yeah, I don't do everything perfect. The minute you begin to think like that, you fall back into the system and you begin working your righteousness through some kind of ridiculous rules, regulations, or principles. That's when you start slipping back in there. But you know what? God tells me, Maurice, by one sacrifice, I have perfected you forever. You know what Maurice is going to believe? I've been made perfect. I've been given eternal life. It is Jesus from the cross. It is finished. So let's just go on a little bit and, and read a little <laughs> about that side. Because you know what? We're dead to this side, right? Mm -hmm. We're dead to the law for life. Yep. I, through the law, died to the law that I might live for God. I, through the law, died to the law for life that I might live for God. So we dead to that, right? Mm -hmm. Short, straight, the shortest distance between two points is a straight line, okay? That's where we are, right over there. And listen to what he says. He says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not walk or live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds <clears throat> on the things of the flesh, sin and death and overcoming it, okay? But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, what are we in? We're in the flesh or we in the spirit? Spirit. We're in the spirit. Right. We're not in the flesh anymore. Right. Well, somebody said, well, wait a minute, how do you do As long as we're in these fleshly bodies, we, we in, we're still in the flesh. Well, let me just say this. Our bodies, our minds, our memories, our thoughts, all those things, that, that flesh that exists, it is, there is still weakness that is found in our flesh. But that is not who we are. That is not who we are. Who we are is one with the Lord. 
he hath made us one with him. That's why he came. Read the chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, and you'll see that the reason he came is that you might be one with him. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, but to be carnally minded, which is this over here, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind, this carnal mind over here, is enmity with God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, I want you to understand something. When you're thinking like this, and you're thinking how holy you are because you don't, you know, drink wine, or you don't do this, or you don't, when you're thinking like that and separating you from your brother because you do these things and you don't do these other things, and you look at your brother and you condemn him, because he does these things you don't do and doesn't do these. When you're condemning your brother, that is not of God. That is not of God. But to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. For the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law, nor can it be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not, uh, here we go, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of Christ dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not of his. So if you have the spirit of God, you are of the spirit. You are in the spirit. It's not how you act or what you do that causes you to be in the spirit. If you have the Spirit of Christ, you are in the Spirit. You find yourself over there on Mount Zion. And if, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through this Spirit that indwells in you. Yes. I think John in 1 John 3 draws a very bright line for us to be able, at least for me, to be able to, to look at. And in, in, in 1 John 3, 4, everyone who practices sin also practices lawness, lawlessness, for sin is lawlessness. In verse 5, and you know that he was revealed that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. And this one to me is the bright line. Everyone who abides in him does not sin. Everyone who sins has not seen him nor known him. Yeah. Listen, the idea that everyone, how, how does it read, read there again where it says in, does in, not in, sin? In verse 6, everyone who abides in him does not sin. No. Everyone who sins has not seen him nor known him. That's right. So if you've if you believe, you have no sin. Yes. Listen, sin is to just be over in this camp. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And not That's know. what sin is. Right. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Receive his eternal life, his perfection, his per per perfect sinless life. Now, this is what, the, what you know, I said, we have weakness in our bodies and we're capable of like maybe doing something ugly to somebody whatever, as, a, as a believer. You can do something that someone said. 
Well, that looks sin, sin, like sin to me, you know. But I like how Paul said it in, I think it was chapter, we can back up just a little bit. Let's see if, let's see if I can find it real quickly. He says, uh, For I delight in the law of God, law of God, according to the inner man. But I see another law at work in my members, warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to sin, which is in my members. O oh, wretched man, who, who will free me from this body of death? I thank God for our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, in my mind, I'm a, I myself am a slave to the law but in the flesh to the law of sin. But that's, that's not exactly what I was looking at. What I was actually looking at is where Paul says, it is no longer I who do this thing. In other words, if I do something in the weaknesses of my flesh, that ain't me. You understand what I'm saying? I could do something like wrong. And if it is like, man, that's like really not good. Maurice, I can't believe you did that. That ain't me who did that. That ain't me who did that. But sin living that in the weakness of my flesh that is capable of doing such. So you say your spirit man is eternally protected in in faith in Christ, yeah. but your flesh can be separated from that to do other things. You make mistakes. You're gonna make mistakes. Well, this is the way I would this is the way I would describe that, Aaron. Um, there is weakness in our bodies and we can get angry, do, you know, say something wrong or whatever, you know, we can do something that someone might deem inappropriate or wrong. Okay. In that weakness. But because we are, are, are dead to sin and because we have believed unto righteousness and we are perfect before God, okay? I would say of myself, let me put it to you this way. So this is me, right? Perfect. This is what I really am. I'm not me and my flesh. My flesh died at the cross, okay? Uh -huh. So this is who I actually am. So if I do something inappropriate, it wasn't me. That was, that was some, that was, some weakness that I that was in my flesh that might have behaved unseemingly. And guess what? I'll see that and I'll say, I ain't going to do that no more. I may actually like have some kind of behavior that someone might deem as sinful and say, you know what? That was not of God. And turn and, and, and do something better the next time. But it is not me trying to perfect my flesh. It's not, I'm not in both places. This is me over here. Yeah. I hope, does that clarify? Does that clarify? Well, and it, it, when that stuff, that old nature comes up, to me, that's when you go to the Lord and say, what's left in me, Lord, that caused me to do that? Yeah. You need to wash that out. You need to change that belief right. within me. Yeah. 
one of the things that helps is to just not continue to put it in the context of sin in terms of bad behavior, right? If we describe it as that's just not God's quality of life, right? Yeah. What I've done, what I've thought, how I'm doing, you know, it's just not God's quality of life the way yeah. he would really, you know, <clears throat> absolutely as, as evident through the fruit of the spirit. That's that anything that might come out of me because there's weakness in, in my flesh is it is not indicative of the person that I am. Exactly. In it's just not me. Right. And that's why Paul would say it's not me who would do it. It's sin living. In. Listen to what what he said, what Paul continues on to say here. He says, and if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. And but the spirit is life because of righteousness. So the body is dead, but the spirit is life because his life, his righteousness, his love is what animates my body. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through that spirit which indwells you. Therefore, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Now, th this is speaking of people who are in the flesh. If you are, if you live according to the flesh, if that is your life, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, and that's what we do as believers. We exist in the state of righteousness and holiness and perfection because that's what he translated us into. He translated us from the kingdom of darkness to, to the kingdom of his son. Uh, therefore, brother, we are debtors to, not debtors to the flesh to live according, but if you will live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if you live according to the spirit, you will live. For as many are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. Y'all got that? For as many who are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. So who is the son of God? We are. We are. All of us. We are. Because His Spirit dwells in us, and we are led by the Spirit. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we call Abba Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. Listen, God's spirit inside of me, in Marie, you my, my, you my son. And what does it say? For you did not receive a spirit of bondage again, but a spirit of adoption. For his spirit bears witness with ours that we are the children of God. And if children, we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we might also be glorified together with him. And that's what happens. That the, uh, our being one with him causes us to be, be in here. And you know, the suffering, you know what our suffering is? It is suffering to die to the, the, this life of sin that once held, held in bondage. Right. It's almost like you got to say, 
I'm not going to believe this lie anymore. I'm going to believe what is true about me. That is the suffering he's speaking of here. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. So what are we waiting for? What are we really waiting for? It, you know, we, as, as we struggle against the death that we see in the world, right? And we, But we're living according to the Spirit. For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly awaits the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of the one who subjected it in hope. Because the creation itself will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, how should we view our lives? Listen, all of creation is waiting for us to be revealed. And when we are revealed to be who we are, who we actually are, all of the rest of creation will be delivered from its bondage to decay also. Yes. Mm -hmm. Listen, there's something to you and who you are that goes way beyond what we have been taught. You are the perfection of God in Christ. That's who you are. And there is a liberty that's found there. Because when you cease your striving for righteousness and walk as if you are perfect, there's a scripture that says this, uh, that God is a God who calls things that are not or do not appear to be as though they are. And so they are. In other words, God calls things that are not as though they are. That's the God, the God that we know and believe in. And when he says, you are the righteousness of God, and you believe that you are the righteousness of God, that righteousness begins to manifest because it is of God. But this system of belief, we find ourselves trying to be like God by the power of our flesh and our ability to obey. <laughs> you have got to be kidding me. How can anything, how can any form of self-righteousness, that's our performing the works of the law or some kind of ordinances or, or that our religion comes up with, how is that? going to compare to the righteousness of God himself. Where is that? How is it possible that you think that when you stand before the Lord, you're going to say, look what I did for you. And he's going to say, oh, well done, my good and faithful servant. No. Mm -hmm. 
yeah. And listen to this, he says, uh, but the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Creation is waiting for us to be revealed for who we actually are. That is who we actually are. This is where creation finds itself corrupted. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors in birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also, with the first fruits of the Spirit grown within ourselves, eagerly awaiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. There's only one thing we miss. That's a, there's only one thing that a believer is missing. It's not that I wish I could quit sinning and doing this stuff that I'm, I know is bad. That's, that's not what we are about. There's only thing, one thing we miss, that our bodies be glorified. Yes. When our bodies are glorified, then our bodies will be meet with who we are, who we actually are. And that's going to be a good time. Amen. For we, were, we are saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who sees, who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly await for it with perseverance. And what we don't see, we know who we are in the Lord. But what we don't see is what our bodies are going to be like, those, those uh, glorified bodies. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit that is within us, because he makes intercession for the saints according to God's will. And we know that all things work together for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now think about this. This is what the Lord did for us. He called us. He justified us, and he hath glorified us. That's who we are. That's who we are. We're not over here trying to be good Christians. We're not trying to be good Christians. We are among the spirits of men made perfect. Our citizenship is in heaven. This is who we are. What shall we say to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against yes, us? Yes. That question is, is God for us? Or is he against yes. us? Yes. Is he, is he looking at our behavior and saying, shame on you, Maurice, for doing that thing? That, is that where my mind is even at? 
It, do, do I even think like that anymore? No. He who did not spare his own son, but the, delivered him up for us, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. So listen, is God going to find anything in you that he's going to bring up against you? No. no, it's God who justified us. Right. How would God bring a charge against anything we ever did in our life when it is the God who justified me? Now, who is it that condemns? Is it Christ Jesus, the one who is risen? who is even at the right hand of God interceding for us. Listen, my God is at the right hand of Jesus, at the right hand of God saying, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are like sheep uh, for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other thing in creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. Listen, what we got from God, we're not here. We're not in this kingdom anymore. We're not here. We're not, we're not like, we're not right here. We're not right there. We are all the way to the end because Jesus said it is finished. finished. That's right. Now, that may cause somebody to have some questions or thoughts, whatever. Yes? Could you go over verse 30? Uh, is this clear of all doctrines that adopt this moral of whom he predestined, these he also called? That word predestined, like. Which, which, which verse is that? Verse it causes okay. confusion. Well, to understand that, if you if you back up to verse twenty nine, where listen to what it says. He says, "For whom he foreknew." Okay, God, God for foreknew them that would come to him. It wasn't that he made them come to him it was he knew ahead of time that they would come to him but that doesn't in itself doesn't fully clarify what you what you the question that's there he also predestined to be conformed into his image so we weren't predestined to believe on him we were foreknown that we would believe him we were predestined to be conformed into his image those whom he foreknew had predestined to be conformed into his image. That he might be the first 
born of many brothers. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Moreover, he, uh, mm -hmm. moreover, <clears throat> whom he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So people are not predestined to be saved or to be lost. It's just completely contrary to everything the scriptures teach. Anyone who believes on the Lord can be saved. It's very, very clear. And by the way, me and Matt were talking about this before. People... You, you talk about the knowledge of good and evil. I want you to understand that can happen theologically too, even among evangelicals. Uh, for some reason, everybody wants to come up with some new thing. Why do they want to come up with a new thing? To draw attention to themselves, to say, look what I know. And because they are, they, they want their flesh to be glorified and substantiated it, it it comes from the tree of death to be thinking like that now it doesn't mean somebody can't come up with a new thought or something that is has <clears throat> richness of, of truth found in it but most of those things that people come up with that are really not based on truth but they just this this shocking statement that somebody says that don't, does not stand the test of <clears throat> it is man just trying to puff himself up with his own knowledge. Listen, all this stuff that I'm telling y'all here, I, it, it ain't because I know anything. I, I, I read the scriptures. I believe the God who communicated these things to me. I just read the whole chapter, chapter 8 of the book of Romans. It testifies to what I'm saying here. And I can tell you that none of this is of Maurice Cabaret. I just illustrated what the truth communicates to him. This is no special knowledge. Listen, for by one sacrifice, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Are you perfect? Yes. Are you perfect? Yes. Come on now. Yes. yes. I, I, listen, you ever go to a charismatic church? It's like, yes. Do you believe? And they say, yeah, we believe. <laughs> I don't want nobody. I, I hope you don't say, I believe that, if you don't believe that. But I'm going to tell you, when he says he has made us perfect, he has made us perfect. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Anybody have any questions, other questions or thoughts or anything they might like to add? <clears throat> okay. Anybody? Okay. That's very good. Thank you. Well, let, thank let, you. Let, let's pray to close out. Father, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, for the reality that you have so translated us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of your beloved son, to the, to the Mount Zion, where there is uh, the dwellers therein, or the sons and daughters of God, the spirits of uh, just men made perfect. And Lord, that is who we are. Help us when we're confronted 
with so many contrary thoughts, things that are contrary to the reality that your work is fully complete in us. When we face those things, that teach us, give us the words to say, to respond to such things. Because uh, Lord, you desire that all men come to a knowledge of the truth, that they'd be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And Lord, the, the best way for that to happen is for people to come to a clarity of understanding as to what you have done for us and your love for us that, that, that is, is seen in that whole thing. We love you, Lord, and uh, we just praise you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 amen.